Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Rainus Krummins, the co-founder of Agency JR, which is an email marketing agency that works with some of your favorite seven and eight figure brands. His team at Agency JR has generated over $30 million in email sales in the past three years, as well as expand into a global brand with over 86 active clients and 50 employees. On this episode, Rainus and I discuss his company's trademarked email conversion protocol, how to think and operate globally, how to properly announce a product launch, and much more. Here's our interview now. Rainus, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're very happy to have you. So we'll start off with the softball. Tell me about your company, Agency JR. To simply put, we just fire the business owners from thinking and worrying about the email and SMS marketing and take it over ourselves. So far, we've worked with over, I think, even 200 e-commerce brands generating anywhere from 300K a year to $36 million a year. So that's been our expertise. And I'd say the way we differentiate is we don't just operate with US brands. We work with a of brands in Europe. So we have a lot of international experience. We see what works well in a variety of different industries and selling to a variety of different kinds of customers. That's a brief overview of us. No, that's great. And I want to actually kind of pivot into that international aspect of your company. So one of the impressive features that Agency JR provides is that you guys write emails in any language, which I don't know if I've really seen other email marketing agencies do. How does that process work? I mean, how are you able to dutifully translate accurately? Yes, that's that's a very good question. It all comes down to finding locals who know the language well. Now, the biggest challenge with translating is if you use euphemisms or metaphors within English and then you try to translate them into that language, it's just going to absolutely suck. The best way for an international business who operates into multiple countries is to find either copywriting talent or translators pretty straightforward in, in those countries. When we operated roughly two years ago, we started working with companies in the Netherlands, and then we moved on to Germany, Sweden, so on and so forth. So we just found it very easy to find initially translators and even copywriters in those countries to write emails for us. Now, typically, the way the process works, and if you want to start selling and writing in a new language, the easiest way is just to have a simple copy in English. It shouldn't have euphemisms or metaphors. It should be selling the product is in kind of a simple way, if you will. Then you would find a translator and have them translate the English copy into, let's say, Dutch, Swedish, Norwegian, Spanish, and just launch it, whether that's a sales page, whether that's emails, and that's the first iteration. You'll see how people respond to it. Maybe people don't like the language. Sometimes you you find that in some areas they have different dialects, so they speak a little bit differently. And then you later narrow down and see maybe which translators work better. I mean, ideally, if you know some people from that country or people who speak language, they're able to give you more of an unbiased look. That's a good way to get started. Eventually, you're going to find talented people in all those countries who can do the work for you, which we found because right now we have around 45 people on our team. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I promise that we will talk about some of the processes that that you guys implement, but I was really fascinated about that international aspect of it. So you mentioned the trouble that you can get into when involving euphemisms, metaphors, you know, similes, figures of speech and idioms don't always translate well culturally. Are there certain strategies and campaigns that work across different cultures or how do you ensure that they do essentially when you're kind of creating these emails at the beginning? Yes, there are two elements that go into it. The translator and the ideal customer. I'll start with the ideal customer because that's the thing you have to focus on. Different countries have 
different buyer personas. For example, Germany, they're going to be a lot more conservative. And if you try to sell to a German as you would to American, you're going to just utterly fail. Germans, if you look at the landing pages there, they don't have a bunch of like these bold colors with timers. It's not super aggressive selling. The way you sell there is it's more laid back. It's more or less showcasing the product, talking about the product and letting the customer decide whether they want to buy or not. Versus in America, you kind of just like very aggressively try to shove the product down their throat. Now, not everyone does that, but that's the best comparison, even hearing, say, radio ads in America compared to Europe. Now, when it comes to the actual copy side of things, you ideally want to find a good translator because a good translator can look at different euphemisms you use and take the core, understand the core idea of the text you've written and rewrite it for that language. Now, if you don't have someone who dives deep enough within the copy to fully comprehend it, not just, you know, understand it, but comprehend it, then it's better to write just in, in, in a simple tone. So instead of this fragrance is going to make all the women turn their heads, you might say, you might say, women gave me compliments for this fragrance. Right. So instead of maybe using a phrase that makes sense in English, might that make friends in Ger German, you simplify the term and kind of like put it into a different sen sentence structure. Now, if you look at different languages, for example, like French, they have different way they form sentences. Generally speaking, across most languages, if you use simple phrases or simple sentence like that, it does show, for example, whenever I wear this fr fragrance or women in compliments, when I wear this fragrance, it is a simple sentence going to translate well across other, you know, uh, other languages. Whereas this fragrance leaves heads turning. It's something that's, that works well in English, but doesn't necessarily translate well to other languages. So that's the best way to put it with an example. No, that's cool. I mean, what I'm kind of hearing you say is that keeping it as pragmatic as possible is usually the best way to ensure that there's still the substance with a little bit of style across cultures. I, I think that's extremely interesting. Yes, so yes. And later as you scale, you hire in copywriters and have them write within the language. You can give them the core idea, let's say, of the email or the landing page copy that you want them to write, and they can build around it as any good copywriter would. I love it. I think that's fascinating stuff. So to kind of circle back and talk about the actual processes that Agency JR implements, essentially. So I want to start off with your trademarked email conversion protocol. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah, it's a very good thing you bring up because whenever we work with a new new client or a new brand, we don't just start randomly writing emails. As I mentioned previously, the most important part of your marketing is your audience. Who are you selling to? What are their fears? What was the last thing they were terrified of? What was the last thing they were excited about? Because when you're able to point out these different instances of where they get their pleasure and where they get their fear, you're able to essentially communicate the product better with them. So what we do there is instead of just randomly, randomly writing copy and emails, we firstly focus and understand who is the ideal customer. What's their age? Why do they buy? Again, as I mentioned, what their fears, what excites them. Then we dive into the brand itself. What is a brand's identity? Because if you want to work with a new company successfully, you can't just have a designer whip out any sort of you know design. We like to align the designs of the emails and the kind of design we put out with what they have on their website, on, on their ads. Because if, let's say, they're using black buttons on the website, we want to make sure we can align that with an email. So the, the transition from email to the website is as smooth as possible. And then later we dive deeper to understand different different mechanisms a product has. Because if you've listened to any Agoras copywriters, they like to break down copy within different stories about the product, the proof of the product working, the mechanisms, right? The heroes and the villains. And if we're able to distill those out from the product, 
we're able to become more successful. Now, for the people that don't know what mechanisms are, you may be asking, what the hell are those? So simply put, those are email conversion protocol as a mechanism. I could have simply put that, you know, we do the research to understand your, your customer. But email conversion protocol is a mechanism that takes different elements of research and puts them together. It sounds unique. It's kind of like a USB put into a new light. And the best way... Uh, uh, the best example I can give out, uh, a while back, there was a famous Claude Hopkins ad with Schlitz Beer, where they looked at the process of how beer was created, and they found out that, that their beer was being filtered compared to other companies. Now, other companies, everyone filters their beer. It's a standard practice, but no one talks about it. That's what made their product unique. That was a unique mechanism that made it seem like their product was purer than their competitors. And I think that's what's fascinating is highlighting what you do that is better or different. You know, just to take kind of your example, Miller Lite's foundation of a lot of their campaigns is the original light beer. You know, they've been coasting off that for a very long time because it's worked, you know? Um, I'm, I'm extremely interested in what some of the methods are that you and your team implement during your research about customers. So you, you obviously try to get, figure out what the ideal customer is. How do you actually conduct that sort of research? That's a very good question. Now, first things first is to, I'll give an example with, if I was starting a completely new brand, because that's where a lot of people start off and that's where this, this information is going to be the most valuable. First things first, you need to ideally look at, identify the audience segment. What age range are they in? Do they have kids? What are different worries they have in their pers personal lives? Without just thinking about the product, what does their life look at look look like now from that you can distill different desires these people have, different needs they have. So if you look at someone that is a mother that's forty five years old, they have two kids. They're a stay at home mom. What are the different desires they have? Now, one of them could be they want to look like their younger selves again. They've had two, two kids. They maybe have a lower confidence because they think they might have, you know, left, let a little bit of chub on. They want to regain their younger beauty. Now, what does their day-to-day -day look like? Every single day, you know, they wake up at, let's say, 7.30. They, they make breakfast by 8.30. They've driven their kids to school and then they go back home. They watch TV, yada, yada, yada. You want to understand like what does their day look like? What do they do? So you can understand what are the desires and fears they have. Now, I did mention this already. And the way you can do that is talk to these people. If you cannot specifically describe what your ideal customer does on a day-to-day -day basis, talk to the people who would be your ideal customer. Now, if you already have an existing audience base, you can talk with a customer directly whether that's through surveys or just even doing direct calls with, with the people, understanding why they like the product, why they didn't like the product, maybe what do they do? Or even if you sell products in real life within the, sh within the shop, right? You can talk with the customers, understand what their days are like. Now, th this is something where what you're trying to do is find an idea that's going to change your marketing. The best way to put it, if we're, for example, promoting this podcast, we could say, do you ever find yourself scrolling through TikTok for four hours with just, and you just realize you've wasted that time? Don't you just feel angry at yourself? Instead, you know, you can position this podcast as a better piece of content for them to consume. That's just a very, very simple example. But if we can tap in those fears of them wasting four hours consuming brainless content doesn't make them any more money versus they can, them watching this podcast. That is a way on how we can advertise. That is an angle we can use with an email. And the, and the main goal of all this research is to find different angles and big ideas for emails, for your paid ads, for anything. No, I think that's all got a lot of validity to it. I like the idea of understanding not just your, your customer, your ideal customer, 
but what they do, like who really are they, not what do they like or what do they dislike or how do they like being sold to, you know, I think something a little more intangible helps you get in their head a little bit more accurately. Uh, I think there's a lot of value there. So, you know, you guarantee at least through your website that your onboarding process is rapid, you know, with emails being written and designed in about 20 days. How are you able to operate so quickly? Uh, That's a good question. It comes down to systems and processes. We have different teams for email management, email onboarding. It's just the way our company has been built. You know, we, we don't have, let's say, three people working on 40 different email accounts. So where, you know, if someone new wants to get onboarded, they have to wait. And it's just a meticulous, difficult process for them to get onboarded. For us, we have, we've just built capacity. We have better systems and, and a bigger team than other people in the space. It all comes down to that. Teamwork. Teamwork's a dream work. So to ensure a fast onboarding process, I'm going to give you an either or essentially, all right? Does it, does it help to have more autonomy instead of going back and forth with clients? Or is it more helpful to have clients who are helping with the decision-making process? That's a very good question. I would say helping is probably best, primarily because the initial timeframe was to work together. It's it's very important to understand the ideal client. Uh, sorry, not, not the ideal client, but to understand what the client wants and what has worked in the past. Because if they already have, like typically we work with brands who, you know, do at least, you know, $100,000 a month in sales up to a couple of million dollars a month. So they probably have a good idea of what their customer likes and what their customer dislikes. So we can get the ideas they have had and things that have worked previously. And, and ultimately we have the final say on the types of emails we send out. But that initial month is going to be very, very helpful if the client gets involved. That's with any kind of an agency. Like some e-com brands, they blame agencies for for poor work. Sometimes it's unclear communication that results in poor work. Now, this can be both on the agency side and the e-commerce brand side. But ultimately, if up front, you can be great at communication, you can manage expectations for what you expect from us, what you like, what you don't like. It's just going to be a lot, heck of a lot smoother process down the line. When you're testing emails out, I think you mentioned that earlier. Do you do like experimental emails to better gauge, say, the, uh, the efficacy of your solutions before fully cementing and implementing a campaign? Very good question. Yes and no. Depends on what kind of a test it is. Typically within email campaigns, we have, for example, tested the true campaigns that have worked. That's, for example, 80% and 20% is kind of exploratory campaigns. So like different random ideas, uh, something that that's a great example. We were working with a company selling skiing equipment, so jackets and skiing pants, and they also had swimming shorts on the website and they wanted to get rid of them before winter, before Q4 and everything. And I told them, listen, no, let's keep the shorts on the store because when you go to a skiing resort, what do you have? A spa. And within a spa, obviously you're going to be wearing your swim shorts. So then something we can experiment with is for the people that have placed an order for our skiing jackets or skiing pants, we can send out a campaign upselling them on swimming shorts. But in winter, it makes no sense. But that's why we're giving the customers the idea of, hey, are you going on a, on a skiing trip anytime soon? If so, get these swimming shorts so you can enjoy your time at the spa outside of the skiing slopes. So testing the different ideas, seeing if something sticks. If something sticks and works very, very well, we can repeat it. We can put it within a flow and have it as an automated email going out to everybody. I also wanted to ask, do you design the emails as well as how to deliver them at the same time? Yes, we take care of everything. Strategy, writing the copy, email designs, everything's taken care of. Yeah, because I, I, I was interested, you know, some companies literally are just like, 
we automate it. We figure out the best way to do the actual email marketing, but they don't design the emails. And then there's other companies that do it the other way around where they just do the design. And then you have to take it to a different place to ensure that you're getting, you know, a high conversion rate on, on those emails, but you guys do it both. So does that necessarily mean that you have to do twice the workload or is it half the workload since you're kind of doing since you don't have to have that warm tra- transition or warm handoff between companies or anything like that, that back and forth isn't as much there. Do you think that increases or kind of decreases the workload versus another company that's settling in more of a, a niche in one of those two processes? It definitely decreases that for the end client because you end up looking at the final design and you don't need to go back to the team. Maybe if someone on the client's team, they end up being ill or they're not able to they go to on vacation, we're kind of in standstill. Now, on our end, we take on all the responsibilities, so we're going to take care of it. So for the client, it's easier for us. It does take a little bit more work, but ultimately, it's it still can be a lot easier because if the client wants to hand off email marketing, they want to hand off everything. And they'd rather have their designer give us feedback on the designs we have created because we can control the output rather than hand it off to them or someone else. Okay, love it. I think that makes sense. So you've also got a trademarked product launch formula. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, product launch for we actually had a speech on this in Dubai because we implement this within Q4. We implement this within different new product launches. We did 251K in 24 hours with a completely new brand we launched. And it's because the product launch formula is the way to launch a new product successfully. It's not just sending one email promoting it. Instead, we have four phases we go through. So phase one is the hype up. Before any product is launched, you need to have proper hype. You need to have you need to have your customers desire this product. Now we do do it in a couple of ways. Number one, this can be done within paid advertisements, driving traffic to a sign-up form where people can raise their hand and leave an email telling them, like, listen, I'm interested in this product. Within the sign-up form, that could be a landing page showcasing the product, showcasing the main benefits, and maybe core testimonials of the pre- people that have tested the product itself. Then once they've signed up, we send them emails giving them updates on the actual product when it's going to be launched, so on and so forth. And then we dive into the next phase, which is the, the pre-sale phase. So we can get people to give us micro-commitments by either buying a pre-sale, so putting down some sort of amount of capital for that product, or even, as I previously said, sending up to a lead form. Maybe it might be a deeper step down line. Then we dive into the product launch itself. Now, for the people that have signed up, They might have gotten uh, a way to commit by having an early access sale where they can get a little bit of a discount, but, you know, they put up the money up front. And then we can send the email to everyone on the existing email list, whether it's older subscribers, people who have purchased, people who haven't purchased. We basically strategically start to send out emails to the larger email list. And then we follow up with everyone who has shown some sort of interest, either opened emails or clicked on them for the next roughly six days. So this process takes... In the case of Q4, this is something we do all the way starting September uh, of December. In the case of a new product launch, this is typically a four-week process. Emails being sent out. Yeah, that's that's pretty substantial. Are there any sort of specific ground rules that should be followed when announcing and launching a new product? I know you kind of kind of touched on that a little bit, but what are some things that you have to make sure is happening on every single one or make sure that you are avoiding on every single new product? I would say definitely the main thing is just just seeing some sort of an interest from your audience. So this is what we do within the hype phase and also the 
the uh, phase two, which is, you know, commitment. If there is no commitment, if people are not interested in the product at all, if there's no buzz about it, no one's talking about it on social media, no one replying to the emails when we ask them, to, for example, reply if they are excited, we said, hey, maybe we shouldn't be producing as many units because the, the whole idea of this product launch formula is to minimize the amount of money you're spending on a new product. So you can ideally even sell it out at pre-sale. So you have customers fund the entire product itself. That's kind of like step one. Step two is to leave the product available after launch. Uh, this is something I learned from my obvi. Ideally, after launch, you want to make the product sold out. So the people who didn't want to buy it, all of a sudden, they have this fear of missing out because the product's been sold out. They might not even want it to buy it previously, but they see, like, we email everyone, tell them, like, hey, the product's sold out. You cannot buy it. We're sending you this email because you cannot buy it. And as a result, now they want to buy it. So the next time the product's restocked, they, they're ready to purchase this product. Now, the second time you restock it, you want to have it be sold out again. So you restock, you restock it with enough units for you to know that it's going to sell out. Again, the people who might have a little bit of a FOMO, they, they now have even, even more fear of missing out because this is something new. This is something they cannot get. And they're ready to buy the when the next restock rolls around. So you're actually knowing that the demand is high and then lowering your supply to ensure that it's sold out instead of the yes, other way around. Yes. That's really fascinating. And speaking, you know, financially as you were starting to, you, you stayed on your website that emails generate $42 for every $1 that's spent. Uh, I've never seen that stat anywhere. I thought that was very interesting. How does that stack up against other marketing strategies? Like SMS, social media, TV, radio, podcasts, et cetera, th those avenues. I would say that's a metric that's important because email marketing, you don't have as many costs associated to it as something like, for example, paid ads. With that st stat itself, it's not that you should spend all your marketing budget in email marketing. It's that it's naturally a low cost marketing effort. Sim like SMS would be a little bit higher, but email marketing compared to paid ads, they, they play different roles. I don't really think it's it's a good idea to necessarily compare the, all, all the other marketing channels. Ideally, you'd want to do as many as possible because the bigger you get, the more of a target audience you're going to get. And something like paid ads is going to be acquiring new customers. Something like email and SMS is going to be getting the existing customers to come back and buy again and buy different products. And your company, Agency JR, is designed for seven or eight figure brands, right? Is that something that you started with as the idea or was that something that you grew to and then eventually said we, we can't provide services for you know six figures or less we definitely grew to it yes okay no that's great i mean i don't know some people come in and they're like all right i got my idea i got it, it can only work with these sort of people so i'm gonna try that way but you know most people do start and and then scale up in terms of what to provide their services for one of my last big questions is is why do you believe that email is the most impactful marketing strategy it's the most impactful when it's together with all marketing strategy, when it's together with all marketing channels. I wouldn't necessarily highlight that as the most impactful, nor the Facebook ads. I would say probably the most impactful marketing strategy is understanding your customer very, very well. Mm. And mm. then email marketing, paid ads, Facebook, TikTok, those are just tools you use to communicate your message with your customer. Wonderful. I can really dig that. So before we wrap up, I always ask my guests this same last question. Essentially, in the e-commerce world, a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners are operating 24-7, 365, and that can make a healthy work-life harmony hard or, or difficult. So 
Rainus, what do you do with your free time and what hobbies or interests do you have to promote good mental health and a stable work-life harmony? Very good question. I would say it's working out. Uh, I've been working out for, for a long time, working out, meeting my family, and just doing the things I enjoy, generally speaking. And uh, I, I like to just fill my time with things, not really have free time to, to think about. I do like to have free time, not just not do anything and be bored. But I would say probably sports. Now, this kind of sucks because of my injury right now for the people who can see who can see my arm in the sling. But that's what I do. Yeah. And and, and anyone listening, you know, Rainus has been a, a soldier here. He's in, he's in a sling right now. And it's quite impressive. I've had people cancel on the show for a lot less. So <laughs> <laughs> no offense to them. I, I, I totally get it. I've rescheduled with plenty of people, but I was impressed to see you come on with that sling. And, and look, Rainus, I, I think you've got a really cool thing going with Agency JR. And I can't wait to hopefully circle back in a year to see how y'all are doing. Thank you. Well, that's that's amazing to hear. Yeah, we appreciate having you on. And until next time, my friend. Take care. Adios. I'd like to thank my guest, Rainus Crummins, for joining me on the show and come back on Thursday when I talk with Christopher Silvestri, conversion designer and copywriter, about his brand, Conversion Alchemy, which brings copywriting, user experience, and digital psychology together to make the internet a better place. For more information about Rainus, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or follow him on Twitter at email Rainus or on Instagram at Rainus. To learn more about Agency JR, visit their website, agencyjr.com. That's our show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until next time.